We recently asked a couple hundred of you emerging biotech leaders about your go-to sources of information when you face tough professional challenges. Your top response wasn't webinars, it wasn't scientific journals, it wasn't trade shows, it wasn't even consultants. Far and away, you said you most often turn to your peers for trusted insight. Enabling a community of peers is what the Business of Biotech podcast is all about. It's also what our new Business of Biotech newsletter is all about. Peer-driven content, no strings attached, delivered to your inbox once a month. Go to bioprocessonline.com backslash B-O-B to subscribe. The Business of Biotech is produced by Bioprocess Online, part of the Life Science Connect community with support from Cytiva. Cytiva also demonstrates its commitment to the leaders of new and emerging biopharma at cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech. Check that out. Dr. Francois Rigier is chairman and CEO at Biosenic, a late-stage biopharma company working on therapies for the control of innate immunity and tissue repair. The company was formed as a result of Bone Therapeutics' recent acquisition of Metzenic, which Regier founded in 2011. But before he was an astute biotech businessman, Dr. Regier built a storied career in research and academia. I'm Matt Pillar. This is the Business of Biotech. And Dr. Regier is here with me now to share on the acquisition and its outcomes. But first, Dr. Regier, I'm going to ask you for some uh, help uh, pronouncing a few things along the way as we get to know you. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. And uh, I'm happy to be there. And uh, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to, I want, like I said, I want to, I want our audience to get the chance to get to know you, but I'm terrible with French pronunciation. So I'm going to run through some of your academic and research experience. Um, and, and we'll make it fun. We'll make it fun. When you see me pause and give you a nod, I'm going to ask you to fill in the blank. Okay. Okay. So, so Dr. Regier. I may do the same for you. Huh? <laughs> I'll be more than happy. I'll be more than happy. Dr. Regier studied physics at the Joseph. Fourier. Fourier University. I probably could have got that one. Yeah, correct. you could have got that one because uh, mathematics is full of uh, transforming of Fourier. It's a very basic uh, type of uh, uh, mathematic uh, uh, means of uh, in, in ma many uh, different uh, applications. Okay, that's a good that's a good trick. Although I was I was as bad in math as as, as probably I uh, I would have been in French. Uh, the Joseph Fourier University in Grenoble. Yes, Grenoble. And uh, you earned your PhD in neurology. This one I'm not even going to try. You earned your PhD in neurology at the at no oh, at the Ecole Normale Supérieure in Paris. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, you worked with Nobel Prize winner Jacques Monod. Did I get that one right? To start my career in biology. That's mm -hmm. cool. That was at the Pasteur Institute? That was the Pasteur Institute in Paris. You then, uh, you were a fellow in research at the French National Center for Scientific Research? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, um, oh, no, there's more. There's more. So you were an assistant professor of neuro, neuropathology at Harvard University. There's when I say there's more, I mean there's more. I need help pronouncing. Uh, pronouncing. You led a joint team of research from the National Institute of Health and Medical Research and the French National Center for Scientific Research Unit at the starts with a P. Hospital. The Petit Salpetriere. Uh, 
Pitié Salpetriere Hospital. Oh, That's so the beautiful. biggest one in Europe. So beautiful when it comes out of your mouth. <laughs> Pitié Salpetriere. Perfect. Uh, you were a senior associate researcher in the laboratory of Nobel Prize winner Gerald Edelman at Rockefeller University. You created a uh, in Geneva a binational scientific interest group on the broader theme of aging and longevity. You've authored or co-authored uh, more than 175 international publications in the field of life sciences and neurosciences. And there's a whole lot more. So for our audience, there's a whole lot more on Dr. Regier. Uh, you can Google him for that. But uh, it's safe to say we've ascertained that your academic and research career is is quite storied. Um, it's long. It's distinguished. Uh, so it begs the, the question, why, when and why you decided that you were going to uh, transition into industry? Oh. Um, at the end of my career, my career in the academic uh, field, and uh, what happened is that uh, we had in France uh, very interesting results on a specific uh, product compound molecule, which uh, seemed to be extremely uh, useful for uh, probably getting to some uh, treatments, a useful treatment in uh, autoimmune diseases, in the autoimmune disease field. As I was uh, working hard on the multiple sclerosis at that time, I felt that it was uh, probably very appropriate that somebody took this task. And uh, what happened is that the patents were a little bit already old, a few years. And this was uh, supposed to be a very difficult task. And I thought it was a good uh, a good challenge for me. And uh, I started that way. It, it, so it's a it's a transition that, uh, you know, it, it sounds natural when you say it. But oftentimes that transition from academia to industry can can feel a little bit unnatural, a little bit clunky. Um, at the same time, I'm sure that your academic and research career has has uh, instructed or informed your leadership in industry. So talk a little bit about that. Uh, how have you, uh, I guess, leaned into your academic leadership to sort of inform the way that you lead uh, emerging and clinical stage biopharma? Oh, I, uh, the answer is very simple. I think that basic science is uh, uh, absolutely uh, uh, extremely uh, important for uh, giving good grounds to any type of uh, uh, practical or industrial uh, development. And uh, this basic science had worked uh, 40 years on it to, 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 to try to, to get the, the minimum <laughs> information. And, uh, and uh, my, my training there was uh, uh, very, very important to be uh, uh, sometimes pretty um, uh, firm and uh, uh, have the necessary uh, assurance to to proceed into uh, big projects which were involving a lot of money and a lot of energy uh, with the with the fact the basic fact that the the, the science behind was was good or uh, was as good as possible when starting so mm -hmm. that that is the main point when you it's just a, a side question here on that on that note when you joined when you started working in earnest in the industry uh, obviously as a leader in the industry you have to have some uh, i guess comprehension or, or awareness of your competitive set other people who are working on this on similar indications or working in similar modalities on on similar indications 
Um, did, did you notice or, or have you noticed uh, a, a problem in terms of the growth of biopharma companies and whether or not they generally, obviously, I don't want you to name names, but generally, do you see a problem in the industry around companies that perhaps aren't as rooted in that, you know, long-term study and research that that you brought to the table? I've seen, uh, yes, I have seen some uh, uh, facets that I didn't like too much uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, generally called the strategy of the of the firms, which were decided at the highest level by people uh, trying to get together um, uh, investment return with uh, some uh, uh, opportunities in the uh, in in science and medicine, since that's my field, and uh, uh, making guesses which were not always totally uh, um, uh, enlightened by the by the facts behind, but they they sometimes they didn't care or too much and uh, uh, or enough, and that uh, was uh, going to decisions which were. Uh, probably uh, involving too many people, too many uh, uh, financial uh, um, uh, efforts for um, uh, very uh, um, for not so uh, uh, good uh, expectations at uh, to start with. You know that that I mean that the grounds for making big decisions with big money were not enough and. Uh, I've seen that very, very often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you founded Medcenic, uh, as, I, as I stated, in, in 2011, correct? 2011? Yeah. Uh, and, and just recently, over, over the summer, I want to jump into the uh, the, the, the creation of, of, of Biocenic, the result of, of bone therapeutics acquisition of, of Medcenic, uh, which, which you led this past summer. So um, give us sort of the origin story there. How did that acquisition come to pass? Um, and 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 when did the discussion sort of begin? Yeah, it's a good question. As a matter of fact, with Medcenic, which was uh, which is still a private company, we had not the burden of uh, working like a listed company with a, a lot of uh, attention to the public and to be very careful in uh, saying uh, or trying to 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 find new paths or or new ways of solving problems. And uh, but at a certain time, we had, uh, uh, of course, the problem of the funds and fundraising. And mm-hmm. we did well for several years with fundraising from uh, venture capitalists and people uh, uh, trying to find out what we were doing, what was the hope to succeed to success. And the hope to success was clear for, for several years. And it's clear now still we had to have success in clinical trials and uh, the product should be uh, performant for uh, trying to treat people and, and certain types of indications. But uh, at a certain point, venture capitalists were not uh, really uh, there or enough to, to try to go further. Since uh, when you start with a phase two trial and uh, specifically with the phase three type trial, one is observational, the other is confirmatory with many uh, patients, generally. You need a lot of money. And we 
we it was clear these two last two three last years that uh, it was uh, not really possible for venture uh, capitals to get into our adventure and bring the money that we needed so mm-hmm. one solution that uh, which occurs to everybody else uh, is to go on a, a market and to 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 try to get public attention and so uh, for two years we went be, uh, through ideas we started with uh, ipos possibilities but that takes time and money and we didn't we didn't have the right money for that mm-hmm. uh, then uh, the question was uh, merging with another company and uh, uh, maybe finding uh, uh, an empty shell you see that mm-hmm. was uh, the thought for a few months and uh, going through this idea we went uh, uh, through a few uh, very little uh, very few opportunities one of them was uh, bone therapeutics which was not empty at all but which was easy to uh, for us to discuss with them and find uh, maybe you will have other questions later but uh, to find ways to uh, synergize our uh, projects and uh, possibilities capacities and and minds and that's what happens after a few months of discussion when we got uh, uh, meetings with people from bone therapeutics Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You you read my mind. I mean, there. I certainly do have follow up questions to that because uh, w- without having context, which is what what we're talking. That, that's why we're talking to sort of gain that context. But without that context, if you're just looking at the transaction on paper, the marriage on paper, you know, the the merger of MedSenic and Bone Therapeutics feels like or looks like sort of an unlikely combination. Uh, MedSenic's heritage is is in that development and optimization of arsenic salt formula for therapeutic application and inflammatory conditions. Bone Therapeutics obviously had made a name for itself with uh, lead assets and allogeneic cell therapies for complicated bone uh, fractures, that is. Um, So uh, again, like it's not, I guess, obvious or inherent what what that- No, but uh, it's it's, again simple. If -hmm. you think of autoimmune diseases, we are dealing with uh, systemic uh, uh, degradating uh, diseases. Several organs are concerned and they get damaged and to the point that they become fibrotic or they become they become uh, uh, unfunctional partially or even totally. So that means degradation. And uh, at that point, uh, what we were doing since years and we are still doing is trying to stop this type of uh, degradation of uh, of these uh, chronic diseases. Degradation occurs on several years generally, not immediately. And so uh, trying to stop the process is very good. Trying to stop it even before it starts is even better. Mm. You see, that was the way we were going for years. And when you cannot uh, um, when you cannot master this uh, degradation processes of uh, several types, uh, several organs, you, after you have to deal with repair, organ repair. And uh, organ repair may be a good thing to activate uh, when you are a little bit late into the chronic stage or the chronic uh, uh, development of the disease. And we found that in bone therapeutics. In bone therapeutics, they had cells which are coming from the bone marrow and which are undifferentiated and they are 
two properties. One is uh, even three properties. One is to be able to um, uh, not be seen easily by any uh, immune system. They have what we call an immune privilege. So uh, you can put them in a place in an organization in, in the body and uh, they will not be de detected very easily and they are not going to be rejected very easily. Mm -hmm. So that's one, one point. The second point is that, uh, very interestingly, these cells have uh, anti-inflammatory properties. And inflammation is uh, main one of the main uh, um, uh, characteristics of uh, an autoimmune process. And uh, so anti-inflammatory properties means that they are able to release anti-inflammatory uh, factors or cytokines and that was what that was exactly what we wanted to 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 do to stop pro-inflammatory cytokines and maybe activate if it was possible if it is possible to activate the release of uh, anti-inflammatory cytokines or factors and they are probably absolutely able to to do this task and more than that, when you use these cells, which are not totally differentiated, they are able in situ, in the, in the place where you put them, mm -hmm. to become cells uh, of a certain lineage. And uh, bone therapeutics had uh, shown by many examples and with a very good uh, uh, stock of uh, patents and uh, intellectual property, uh, very, very clear, that uh, these cells were for uh, bones and uh, and um, and joints uh, able to differentiate in uh, osteocytes and uh, chondrocytes you see mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and they could do much more so there is a full path of uh, development here which is not now but much later in the next years and it gives uh, uh, some very good promise for uh, I would say for cell therapy in itself. Yeah. So all that put together, you have many, many uh, types of uh, possibility of uh, application. The difficulty is to find what we do now and not to do everything at the same time, which sure. is a, a guarantee of doing nothing. So, uh, but as a matter of fact, the put together, putting together medicinic and bone therapeutics, giving biosenic is a uh, at my opinion, a very good thing. And several months after having succeeded in the reverse merger, it's uh, something which is clearly a, a very good option for the next uh, two, three years. Yeah. Well, your your description there, your explanation uh, or, or rationale kind of speaks to the point you were, you were talking about earlier when I asked you about uh, your your observations around companies that are that are established and funded on science that isn't as sound. It sounds to me like even though on paper, you know, um, uh, therapeutic applications and in inflammation and, and bone fracture th therapeutics, even though on, on paper or at face value, those seem like very different things. The fundamental science behind what Medsenic and, and bone were doing meshed. There, there was synergy. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly that. Very good. You know, you were, you were asking me about the politics of uh, big firms. Mm -hmm. We bumped many times into uh, very big biopharma representatives uh, 
VC, Vice President, President, uh, Chief of uh, Development, Business Development, uh, scientific, even uh, scientists into this, uh, these places. And uh, what they were saying very often is that they were on the same tracks than uh, in, in terms of indications, for example, lupus or, for example, uh, uh, systemic sclerosis or diabetes or, or, or multiple sclerosis. But they had all their projects going on. They were putting a lot of money into trying certain types of uh, products, of molecules, and they couldn't think of anything else. They could. They, they were not. They were totally tightened by their project uh, mm -hmm. and not able to uh, easily think that other things could come. And it for them it would be it would have been very easy to buy us for a very small amount of money, probably uh, one hundredth of uh, what they were uh, spending on one molecule, which two years later was going to be abandoned because uh, the, the the trials were not good. Uh, but they, they they were totally uh, tightened to to their project uh, and with no view of uh, trying to differentiate or to adapt or to to go uh, elsewhere when the opportunity was there. So yeah. that 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 has been my feeling for years in this field. Yeah, yeah, and and that sort of general, I guess, um, sentiment that, that's out there in the industry, or, or, or I guess, mindset, uh, can certainly, as you noted when you were on the on the fundraising trail and looking at VCs, um, it, it was a challenging environment. It's even more challenging environment today, I think, than it was a, a couple of years ago. Um, so, so did did the when you when you came to the point where the merger was was the answer and that was underway did you face did you continue to face any skepticism from from analysts or shell shareholders uh board members even employees of each company like what, what yeah. was there yeah at that point we were not with the analysts they were just uh, we were with the people uh, trying to find out how uh, valuable we were on each side mm -hmm. and they were counting the projects the stage of the project uh, and making assumptions and uh, putting figures uh, behind that, you know? Yeah. But nobody was really uh, uh, trying to get into the deep, the depths of the, of the motivation for this type of, uh, of, um, of, merge, of merger. And uh, so we had no, no skepticism expressed by anybody at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I would say it's still uh, true right now and uh, when people uh, in this general field, uh, biopharmaceutical industry, are trying to think, uh, I think you get very fast uh, to the basic science. And that's where I feel a little bit uh, easy because, uh, you know, when people say that uh, you have 250 cytokines, why did you choose or why do you speak of these two or three cytokines? Uh, they cannot answer really, uh, or they have a very, very clear uh, thinking, it's because it is acting in such a step of such disease, which is absolutely generally uh, too early to be uh, stated that way. And we don't know uh, right now, I think, a disease which is absolutely uh, linked to one cytokine by itself, except uh, genetic defects. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And we'll, uh, yep. And we'll, I, I certainly want to spend some time getting into the sort of science behind the, the therapeutics that, uh, that, that you're working on. Uh, but I want I want to I want to focus for a minute on sort of the the mechanics of of the acquisition uh, I guess uh, it's itself and, and and I think it's timely um, as I said you know given given the state of capital markets for the past twelve to eighteen months um, there's some opti- optimism now I think there's you know uh, w- w- with so many small biotechs being devalued uh, I, I you know I think there's optimism that there'll be a lot of M and A activity. In this coming year, where there's good science and, and good buys to be to be made, uh, and for a lot of folks, especially a lot of folks who listen to this podcast, it may be a first blush with a, a, you know a first attempt at a, a merger on, on either side or acquisition, either yeah. as the either as the buyer or the seller. So, I'm going to ask you to to just sort of take us behind the scenes of the mechanics of the deal, its terms, its execution, what what uh, a, a, a fellow small biopharma CEO might expect from the experience? I can give you a few steps that I uh, now see uh, after having uh, been through this whole process. And uh, you should know today I learned that the FSMA, which is a regulator in uh, Belgium, uh, they they say if it is fine that we get onto the market and uh, uh, we have to present a prospectus for that, as uh, you certainly know, this prospectus has been nearly accepted today, and uh, it would it should be it should be okay uh, uh, next week. So mm. uh, we started this merger something like uh, last June, and it took uh, seven months to get to the processes to finish uh, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, getting really listed as a company into onto a, a market uh, into onto the Euronext. so uh, i can give you a few steps that we have uh, lived through for uh, f- f- uh, for this seven months which i believe seven months is probably a, a rather uh, rapid but not exceptionally rapid I was going to say, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it sounds, that sounds like a pretty aggressive timeline. Yeah, but uh, we worked very hard uh, and, and no vacation. So <laughs> no, no, vac- no oh, you, you Europeans, you all, you, you take these long vacations. You Did you skip that last year? Yeah, I skipped and a few people with me uh, had maybe two, three days, but that's it. You know? That's it. And, yeah. uh, we, we couldn't spare any time in, uh, in any type of uh, of good time elsewhere. When you're striving to excel in a new arena, the best guides are the ones already doing it well. The business of biotech brings those voices forward to help new and emerging biopharmas turn their innovations, like mRNA and cell and gene therapies, into clinical realities. Tune in and subscribe for insights on hiring, regulatory, and other need-to-know topics for biopharma leaders. The podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Cytiva. Check out their resources at Cytiva.com backslash Emerging Biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A.com backslash Emerging Biotech. So uh, I just listed that on a piece of paper. If you want, if you want I just uh, have a look on that because uh, yes. uh, by mind like that, uh, it's a little bit, uh, uh, it would be artificial. So we have to, we had to contact Bone Therapeutics Board's uh, active members, people uh, responsible for Bone Therapeutics, 
through a deal maker, somebody who put us uh, in connection with these people because we didn't know them uh, personally, any, anyone. So we had to put to 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 make a contact, and so um, we we had to go then to uh, designate since it. It appeared to be a, a possibility. We had to designate uh, on each side the top management uh, necessary to discuss and to find out if uh, for clinical, for financial, for um, uh, I, a certain number of uh, topics, uh, if we could get along and uh, especially if the, in the on the other side there was a big big problem immediately appearing you know and uh, that was very very important to evaluate that and it took us maybe uh, two three months and a few visits on each side to 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 learn and to to get to know each other the, it was the personal uh, contact was absolutely uh, necessary at that point so yeah. we did that and uh, after uh, we decided that there was uh, the, the necessary uh, intervention of uh, uh, independent uh, analyst evaluators of what we had. And that was legal, of course, the structure of the, of the companies on each side. It was uh, um, structural, who we had as uh, active uh, uh, personnel, you know, employees uh, able to perform the work that we said we were doing or were wanted to do or we had done before. Uh, scientists also who did an audit on uh, the ideas and on the scientific committees uh, um, uh, on, on each side to find out what were the strengths and weaknesses. And uh, every time it took maybe uh, Three four weeks for each type of uh, of study uh, in details, and we had a, a clear report on uh, something like uh, fifty to one hundred pages on uh, what was going on on these different uh, topics. Mm -hmm. And at that point, uh, we had the financial evaluation made by an independent body outside, uh, telling us what could be our real valuation because. Every on on each side, we had uh, an idea of what we were, uh, uh, what was the value of the company. Uh, it was easier for Bone Therapeutics because a listed company, you have actions and you have uh, you have a price which comes out, and uh, we have, you have to modulate that by by what happened, by what they want to do, and so on. But uh, it's a little bit uh, easier than for us private company where everything was not uh, public uh, and we had to, to, to develop and to show what we were doing, what were the chances to success for one project, two projects, we had three projects. So they had to look through the three projects uh, and, they, uh, and they had to make, uh, to give figures to say that we were uh, evaluated at a certain level. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going, uh, um, I can tell you that the valuation, it's very public now. They, we we went to the fact that they were valued at 10 millions and we were valued at 80 millions mm -hmm. 
which gives you an idea of what uh, was the results of the reverse merger, which was anticipated at that point, which was that we were uh, going to even being bought by bone therapeutics, we were getting into bone therapeutics and we were getting the majority yeah. Yeah. of the shares, of the possible shares. And uh, as a matter of fact, we decided to do, to, uh, to, to go through a, a, a kind of... Um, uh, of um, um, something a, a little bit different than just to put together everything, one other person on, on, of uh, Medicinic into uh, into bone therapeutics. We decided to put fifty one percent of Medicinic into bone therapeutics, which gave us uh, uh, anyways uh, the the major part of the shares at that point. Uh, uh, yeah. coming out of this uh, transaction. And we decided that the 49% were going to stay on the side for two years or two or three years. And uh, see if everything was going fine, everything would go back, uh, would, would go di directly into uh, biocenic. So uh, we we would uh, not leave 49% uh, of medicinic forever outside. Yeah. Okay, so at that point, um, we had a strategic committee, a board on our side. It was easy to uh, get uh, yes to go ahead. And on the other side, they had to make uh, general assemblies. And it took uh, nearly two months for the general assembly. There are maybe uh, more than 3,000 uh, shareholders in bone therapeutics. So uh, there are a few who are... Uh, very, very important to give their own, their, their advice, their opinion, their yes. And we got to this, uh, to this uh, General Assembly for, of Bone Therapeutics in uh, last October. So it was something like uh, four months, uh, uh, four, five months after the beginning of the discussions. Mm -hmm. And that was yes. So at that point, we became biocenic, 51% of medicinic into um uh, into uh, bone therapeutics to become the whole thing biocenic. Mm -hmm. okay. And uh, I became the same day a CEO and uh, president of the board of, uh, of biocenic with uh, six other members, among them two coming from uh, the bone therapeutics uh, origin. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, we started at that point, that was uh, beginning of November, to develop all the details for the prospectus to be accepted by the market, by the market authorities. And it took us uh, uh, three, three full months of very, very heavy work, terrible work. Don't, don't go to Belgium. They are too, uh, <laughs> they are too, uh, they, they, they get onto every detail. So we had to go back to everything we did for five years before yeah. to justify every uh, number, every figures every type of decision and uh, the same for bone therapeutics. And uh, we finally uh, ended this whole processus, uh, I tell you, uh, this week. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Again, aggressive. Um, and I appreciate that sort of step-by-step uh, -step walkthrough. As I said, I think that's that, that's very instructive. Um and, and and yeah, congratulations! It's a it's a it's a it's a quick Thank time you. frame and and I if I, I, I made... not I would I wouldn't have been uh, doing this type of thing. Well, yeah, it's got to feel pretty. It, it's got to feel good on the on the backside of it, though. Uh, although yeah. 
you know, that leads to my next, I guess, series of questions. Um, you, you know, as as you stated, you you did not understate the amount of work that went into uh, into making this happen. So a lot of work, a lot of work in a short amount of time. Um, once once the companies are official, you know, officially brought together, Biosenic is 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 an entity. Um, that you know, th- there's still a lot of work to be done. I would assume, you know, around. Uh, integrating the, the the two companies uh, not just the platforms not just the you know the the indications that you're working on or the pipeline but the people the culture um you know the technologies um so so let's start with the i guess the softer the softer part of that discussion yeah. um bringing bringing uh medcenic and, and bone therapeutics together you you know you're you're meshing uh two even 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 maybe nuance, but two different cultures and two different uh, workforces together. Um, and, and I know it's early days in that process, but give me a little bit of uh, insight into into what your strategy is there and how you're managing that part of the the combination. Uh, the, the answer is again uh, rather simple. Uh, it goes to the to the strong and uh, uh, interesting. Uh, uh, particularities, characteristic of uh, on, on each side. On our side, uh, I would say, uh, Metzenic, private company with no ties and uh, no nothing to to do than just to be successful and to to be very very quick on uh, different things. Uh, we had learned to uh, uh, to to find that basic science was very important. New mm-hmm. results from others had to be. Uh, taken into account very, very quickly, and we should adapt very, very fast. And so we, uh, it was clear that at the point we were, that was to start a phase-free clinical trial on graft versus those disease uh, chronic form, because that's our main lead indication on the side of uh, Metzenic. Uh, this required more organization and structures. And uh, like... Uh, a, a very good uh, chief medical officer, a very good chief scientific officer, very good people uh, for uh, um, regulatory uh, affairs, uh, not only external as we used to 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 practice, but uh, inside in order to understand very well the things and be very careful of what we were going to do in, in the clinical, uh, in the, uh, the applied clinical field. And uh, so um, that we didn't have enough or we didn't have at all. And we found that into the listed company Bone Therapeutics, which uh, once uh, two, three years ago were more than 100 people. They had uh, three uh, different clinical trials going on. Mm -hmm. They had put together all the regulatory, uh, the medical, the laboratory also, uh, uh, manufacturing at home, so they knew all types of uh, things to do in order to go from uh, the inception of the project and uh, the manipulation of uh, of the uh, of the technical and uh, and clinical uh, uh, product uh, and get everything uh, ready for later to be in a commercial type of uh, prepared uh, setting, you see. So all, all these structures was uh, really available uh, 
not maybe uh, not everything, but uh, a lot of things that we needed. So we were very happy to find this culture that we didn't have. And yeah. so on one side, we, we brought and I brought the basic science culture and the fact that we should be uh, realistic in uh, originality, in uh, in uh, in new uh, aspects and uh, not uh, just to do what uh, 10, 20 other people were doing or firms. And they had a very, very strong uh, habit of uh, processes in uh, getting everything done uh, one one step after another step. Mm-hmm. And, and that we... We 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 got that for the for the last months. It was uh, 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 getting together, and it was interesting to compare experiences and uh, and to 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 show and to demonstrate what we had to add to. Uh, on one side, we didn't have, and on the other side, uh, we I found what I told you for big biopharma. It was true for bone therapeutics. They have, they were so uh, systematic that they were forgetting the essential of the originality inside. So, yeah. So they were perfect in terms of uh, dealing with the press release and uh, making the market uh, uh, learning of what they were doing uh, one hour after one hour. But mm-hmm. at the same time, they were losing the the the, the perspective sometimes of. Uh, trying to be original and just uh, wondering if they were doing the right thing, you know, yeah. but the right basic thing. thing. Yeah. So yeah. the two cultures go together and we have to, we, we have a lot of uh, ways still uh, to go, but uh, uh, in terms of uh, how we can implement and complement and synergize, it's very clear that it's a good uh, operation. Yeah. Yeah. Um... You know, I, I think something that's probably an, an afterthought oftentimes are our systems and technologies. Uh, you, you mentioned how good bone therapeutics was with with processes and sort of the, you know, the 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 mechanistic part of market presentation and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I assume that uh, they were also pretty mature on the sort of technologies and systems continuum, given exactly. given their progress on the clinical front. So, uh, but but I think that's often an afterthought. Like when you bring two companies together, um, and and you want to you know you want to unify them quickly, um, everything from office systems to the the platforms and technologies that you're using in the laboratory, um, you know there are going to be some winners, some losers, maybe some hybrid sort of activity. Um, yeah. But but what was your experience there, and and what do you anticipate moving forward in terms of, you know, meshing and and I guess uh, sort of synergizing the the systems that make each company go. Yeah, to say the truth, we are not going to synergize uh, uh, existing mechanisms or offices or or group of people because uh, most of them left. You see, mm-hmm. but. Uh, the knowledge of what they have to do or what we have to do is still there. And we kept a few people very good and very dedicated to succeed in what we were all together doing. For the people who couldn't bear to be outside the very, very strict and, uh, you know, big pharma type of uh, of, uh, of uh, work, which was generally... Uh, one one person was doing a very small part of the work complemented to another one to another one and uh, everybody uh, 
couldn't do the work that the others was doing. And uh, the fact is that uh, when you have uh, 10 people like that uh, and you are missing two of them, uh, the whole thing is not working at all. So yeah. what we found is that it was better to get one of one of these people of out of 10 uh, having understood what was going on, maybe having a little bit more interest in uh, uh, doing something uh, wider than they were supposed to do before. Uh, but uh, at the same time, it's more interesting for the for the everyday work for certain type of people. And we we try to keep these people, and uh, we, it was not so difficult to keep them because they decided to stay because that was interesting for them. Mm-hmm. The others they didn't feel that that much interested, and they they found other jobs of the same type that they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, of course, now the, uh, I would uh, I should add that uh, we are faced uh, with the next months in trying to implement uh, and find some other people for very very specific uh, uh, tasks that we need to to have good people to perform. Yeah, uh, I mean, you're more than welcome to to share some detail. Maybe perhaps this uh, the airing of this episode will spark some interest in in, in folks who are likely candidates. <laughs> <laughs> um, t- okay, so tell us a little bit about. I I I I'll probably bounce around here a little bit. Usually, we kind of wrap up the conversation with uh with, with uh pipeline uh cl- and clinical updates. Um, but but I'm. While we're talking about the, you know, the 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 merger and and the the, the bringing together of these two entities, uh, I want to make sure that we spend some time talking about how that affects the forward-looking sort of uh, pipeline and, and and candidate development that that uh, the Biosonic might be might be looking at. So just give us some flavor for what the influence of these two different companies might mean in terms of development, therapeutic development moving down the road. And then we we can talk about your existing clinical progress, uh, you know, in, in a little bit. Yeah, it's nearly the same. We have two lead projects, by the way. One coming from Medicinics, the other coming from uh, from Bone Therapeutics. From Medicinics, it's uh, it's very clear that we need to succeed because we had a successful phase two trial on uh, graft versus those disease, the chronic form. And uh, we need to transform that into a real success uh, on the bed of the patient uh, by doing a full phase three uh, convincing uh, type of trial, which will uh, take us probably at least two years before getting to some type of uh, possible intermediary analysis. And mm-hmm. so this uh, this project is very important. We keep it. And Bone Therapeutics is very happy. Uh, I mean, the people and what come from bone therapeutics very happy to see that uh, we are on, on, on the right tracks for that. Uh, on the other side, with the second lead project is, of course, coming from uh, bone therapeutics in terms of uh, the phase 2B going on right now with uh, uh, dozens of uh, patients already uh, uh, recruited, uh, tested, uh, followed right now. And we expect uh, something like an intermediary analysis or sort of intermediary analysis in the next few months to find out if we are on the right tracks with uh, uh, the use of uh, of the of the mesenchymal uh, stem cells 
the allob cells that uh, they are carrying since years and which are very well characterized and which are very well protected by uh, the for for the intellectual property side so uh, that would be nice to succeed in these two uh, in those in these two types of um, of projects and uh, this is uh, of course uh, not um, excluding uh, what we had in our what you call a, a pipeline we had two pipelines on the side of medicinic we are and we had a good phase 2a type of clinical trial the success a few years ago on lupus on uh, sle uh, systemic lupus erythematosus so we would like very much to go on with that but we need a partner a big uh, biopharma partner for that so mm-hmm. that's uh, one thing that uh, which is evident it's impossible for big diseases important diseases like that to succeed without uh, uh, being uh, stronger than we are so yeah. but, and we have the basic results the preclinical and the first clinical results are okay so why not but uh, not alone you see? yeah yeah and uh, there is another disease which has no absolutely no uh, um, uh, medication which is called uh, systemic sclerosis it's something which is uh, it's a systemic disease it's a very bad disease it's uh, chronic like the others takes years uh, but you are getting worse and worse and the patients are in a very very bad condition rather soon and there, there and even the corticosteroids that which are which are used for most of the autoimmune diseases are not useful at all you get you get a little bit of success with a very low uh, doses of corticosteroids but uh, if you increase you aggravate the disease so you cannot go uh, that way and we need you you need uh, uh, you need a product which would be efficient and we i think that for clinical preclinical reasons we have this type of thing with our arsenic uh, formulation mm-hmm. so that is something which could also be uh, developed and which is part of our pipeline and on the other side on the bone th- the bone therapeutics ex bone therapeutic side uh, the cell repair side uh, what we would like to do is probably to go further and elsewhere than the uh, than the tibial uh, fractures mm-hmm. and uh, there are other types of fractures or other types of uh, bone repair that that we could uh, think of even the cartilage would be a a very good uh, objective and there were already uh, uh, studies uh, started uh, with the with the, the bone therapeutic side which is uh, which was uh, a type of protection against osteoarthritis and uh, we believe that osteoarthritis is partly inflammatory so mm-hmm. it's exactly uh, one disease which is uh, uh, shared by both sides uh, um, and uh, uh, we think that by uh, putting together something with our arsenic and what they had in uh, in, in the in the house in, in the bone therapeutics we may end up by something a little bit original and uh, and probably uh, we hope efficient so yeah. you see that there, there, there are um, there is a lot of work to do not going to be done in two weeks it's right. probably a question of uh, getting more and more into the two next years 
And uh, of course, as usual, we need money for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's a, that begs the question. We're, we're running short on time here, uh, Dr. Rizier. So I'm just going to wrap up with a, with a few uh, sort of wrap up questions. And, and you just made a bu- beautiful seg- segue into one of them. You said, you know, it's going to take some time and we, we need money for that. Okay. Um, so, so I'm going to ask you a two-part question. One, looking back at the point you are now in, in the, in the, in the acquisition, the, the bringing of the companies together, looking back on, on the progress you've made, two-part question. What do you, uh, what do you most proud of or happy with in terms of your progress? And then the second part of the question is uh, the flip side of that. What needs to be done most imminently next? Okay. To, to say the truth, since uh, since three months, we don't stop uh, from the morning to the night to 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 work on the on the explanation of what we had done, what we want to do for the public, which is called the prospectus, and it's now a volume which is nearly uh, two hundred or three hundred pages with a, a lot of uh, verifications, uh, controls, and uh, everything. I would say I didn't think that I would. Uh, I, I would write such such a dictionary. I would, uh, mm. you see, with with per- perspectives and with the uh, with the statements on what we are able really to do. So that is something very. Uh, I didn't expect that, but this is very uh, important for me right now. Yeah, well, that 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 probably you probably drew from your your academic and research uh, chops when, when you worked on that project. It was like being is like writing your your thesis all over again. <laughs> yeah, it's like writing ten theses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now, uh, what uh, your question about what should be should remain to be done? I think we want to be uh, to be successful in the. Um, in the ALOB uh, to be uh, uh, clinical trial this year, in terms of uh, results that we are going to try to understand this year, and we need to start and to get the first patient for our uh, chronic GVHD uh, project uh, in the middle of this year. And if we if we if we are able to do that, I will be very proud also to. To, mm-hmm. to say that we we are starting this uh, this clinical trial. Yeah, excellent. Well, like I said, we're running short on time. Um, are, are there are there questions? Are there any questions that pop into your head that I should have asked you that I didn't? Did I did I uh, did I miss anything major that you, that you'd like to kind of squeeze in before we wrap things up here? But maybe you could have asked me if uh, somebody else should have been in my position and uh, me. Uh, uh, doing other things elsewhere. <laughs> well, I, it sounds to me like you're doing you're doing an excellent job. Uh, you know, and I and I'm super super uh, thankful for the transparency. I'm 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 very thankful that you came on the show, and that you were as transparent as you were about the process, some of the challenges you faced. Um, and it, so, it sounds like you're doing a terrific job. So I, I don't I don't know what I don't know what's next for Doctor. Rizier, but it sounds like uh, you're gonna you're gonna be leading Biosonic for a little while longer, anyway. Thank you, <laughs> and thank you for all your questions and uh, and uh, good uh, good spirits in uh, discussing with me. For sure, yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll be paying attention to Biosonic and and hopefully have you on again sometime for an update on uh, on progress. Okay, with pleasure. All right. Bye bye, Matt.
So that's Biosenex CEO, Dr. Francois Regier. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech. We are produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva, which demonstrates its support for new and emerging biopharma companies at Cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech. Check that out. Check us out at bioprocessonline.com backslash B-O-B, where you can sign up for our new newsletter. And if you like listening in on conversations like this one, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review. And as always, thanks for listening. 